1-877-332-8255. Dig in. It's Garden Talk on 980 CJME. Listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Aaron McNutt here with Rick Van Dyvendyke in studio, and Jill Van Dyvendyke is out on the road this week, but we have her uh, by phone today. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, <laughs> uh, Jill. You're adventuring, I hear. Yeah, I'm adventuring, visiting all of my growers and uh, nurseries uh, across Western Canada. So we dipped a little bit into the States just to see some new trials of some new varieties of perennials and annuals um, down towards Seattle um, and then headed back up. And it's just been great to to get to know some of the growers. Some of them have changed over the years and put faces to names and then see some of the new varieties and what's going to be coming out for 2024. So, yeah, fun, fun trip. Very cool. So what did you see at the trials? Um, At the trials, we saw actually quite a few new varieties. Um, Pollinators are going to be really big again for 2024. So some new varieties of Kofia, some um, new varieties of Gara, which are are annuals, great ones to put in the center of your pot. Um, Some very cool uh, new double million bells um, that they've improved the vigor on them, so they're going to be... Um, quite big. Um, there's a new variety of uh, of a plant that is brand new. I think Bacopa, but bright purple, and it's going to hang off. And Bacopa usually dries up when it gets hot in the summertime. And this one's going to continue to bloom because it uh, it will it will stay um, stay nice and nice and fresh on your plants all season long. So um, yeah, just some really cool things. Um, there's some new pots that they're coming out with, so we're trying to figure out ways we can be more eco-friendly and change out of plastic. So there's some pots that we have that are completely 100% biodegradable. You can plant in them, and they've actually incorporated fertilizer into the pot. So that's exciting to see the way that our industry might change a little bit that way. Um, yeah, just lots, lots of new things, um, and I'll be putting them out on our social media in the coming weeks as well, too. Very cool. So it's not just plants. There's a little bit of everything. Yep. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of everything. It's kind of when your industry um, leaders get together and uh, we can kind of network and, and decide what's hot and what's not for 2024. Yeah. The hardest part has been for to get away from the plastic pots type of thing is mm-hmm. because we need we need people to be able to get them home. Yeah. <laughs> so either when they're growing in the greenhouse for you know for quite a few you know like months basically some of them th- some of the things and then and all of a sudden when you when the customer gets them they're soggy and wet and they're yeah <laughs> they're falling Doesn't apart. Hold up as well. They're not holding up as well. So but the technology now is coming so that they be able to bind them together and be able to still break down and be part of part of the the soil structure after they're finished. So that that that's coming it's getting very close yeah i don't think we're quite there yet but we're getting close and now the next thing will be just try and be able to do it at, for a cost for a cost effective in a cost effective way so yeah. that's the that's the next thing all right if you have any questions or uh have some you're looking for some tips for your gardening over this long weekend you can give us a call or a text it's one 332 8255 um, along with the innovations, we've been talking a lot about the heat over the last little bit here uh, on, what was it, Thursday, Saskatoon area got to 37, Regina area was close to 35. There's a bunch of records yeah, broken we, uh, all over the province. It's uh, It's been a real hot couple of days. How can we make sure 
that we're actually treating our gardens and yards the way that they need to be treated in that kind of heat. Yeah, just consistent watering. Like that's that's the big one. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard, especially if you're going to work during the day and you're trying to keep things, you know, nice moisture. And we're getting so many calls about uh, fungals on on plants and whether it be powdery mildew or blossom end rot mm-hmm. or cat face uh, on tomatoes and all different kinds of things. And that's just a lot from, you know, the inconsistent watering. And then also because you're watering so much, not enough nutrients. So um, we were just talking, me and my wife were talking just yesterday about how a lot of our pots, the ones we sort of put slow-release fertilizers on, mm-hmm. and uh, so we always do these little, try little different things all the time. So we have put slower, just slow-release, period, into some of them we just put it on top, some of you work into the soil, and then some of you, you just use liquid fertilizers. And when it's hot like that, the liquid fertilizers are the ones that seem to give it more because the, oh, okay. the slow-release fertilizers just aren't, because you're watering so much, yeah. just aren't giving enough. So if you do using slow-release fertilizers, you probably have to do a supplement. If you do that, put a supplement every once in a while into the pots because uh, you're just watering twice a day. It's just, you're just leaching all the nutrients through the bottom of the pot, right? Yeah, it's not getting that time it's to actually to, release. Uh, to release and just not enough for the plant. So when they're, like Jill's talking about all these new plants that are mm-hmm. so vigorous, right, Jill? That they're so vigorous yeah, that they just take all the nutrients. They're bred for vigor, and they're bred to be fed. Um, so especially like the petunias, the calabacoa, any of the new grasses, um, you can feed them once. Sometimes if you're watering them once, twice a day, up to twice twice a week um, during the peak of the season when it's nice and hot, and that will just extend the life of your plants. Um, in, in other climates, they are actually changing out their containers. They do like a spring container because their season is longer than us, mm-hmm. a summer container, and then a fall container. But if you continue to fertilize your plant and water it consistently, you are going to be able to plant your planter in May and continue it right up until we change it out to the fall months in, in the fall season. And that's what you got to also remember in the shrubs and out in your, right in your yard, we're telling people now it's time to slow down your fertilizing, mm-hmm. right? Because you want to get them ready for wintertime. But your annual containers, you're not worried about keeping them for yeah. the wintertime. Yeah. You're going to fertilize them right to the very until the, until the frost gets them and you're pulling them out. Okay. So you just want to keep them nice and vigorous and growing and, and lots of flowers. Fed and watered. Fed and watered. <laughs> uh, we'll get to a call here. This is Eldon in Estevan. Good morning, Eldon. What's your question for Rick and Jill? Yeah, hi. So I have some Siberian larch trees that are, I don't know, kind of 8 to 10 feet tall. Yep. And the birds land on, like, the leading branch. Yep. And it bends over and breaks, and then it splits into, like, two or three, sometimes more. Yep. And then one usually kind of turns into the leading one, but should I, like, trim the other ones back, or is there any yep. way to keep the birds off? Because it just makes <laughs> the trees look... Yeah, especially when you get the new growth, and the new growth grows so, especially on the on the larch, they grow so fast that all it takes is a robin. They love to sit on the top, and then a little bit bigger of a bird, right? Yeah. Or it might be a magpie or something like that. Yeah. And then, yeah, they tips over. The spruces do that, too. All of a sudden, you got a crooked, you know, when they're so tender, that new growth. Uh, there's not much you can do to keep them off of there other than... Yeah, there's really nothing you can do to keep them off of there. Um, but other than that, you you definitely right now, even right now, you can prune one of them off, and okay. um, and just pick the one that you want to keep, and yeah. that'll be not a problem. And if it grows off to the side, if it's not that tall, you can always tie a little piece of bamboo stake up there, and then just make it go a little bit straighter as well. Leave that for okay. one one year, and then after that, 
uh, you're good to go. So if you're having a consistent problem, then while the tree is that smaller and you get a ladder to it, you can always, you know, uh, you can always put a, a stake up there just a little bit higher than the leader, and okay. the, the bird will land on the stake rather than, you know, and you could tie, you can you can take a soft tie. You don't want to take a wire or anything else, and you can tie your piece of bamboo or your stick to the to the main trunk and be a little higher than the leader. Gotcha. And uh, then they'll land on that for sure, rather than than your than your leader. So that'd be okay. the way to do it. But uh, just make sure you're using a soft tie, and then you're only leaving that on there for one season. And then what do you mean you, by a soft tie? Uh, it's it's basically a, a soft rubber. It's not a it's not a string, and okay. and it's not a wire because you got to remember uh, you want that uh, you want that to expand. You know, yep. you, uh, yep. because what happens is that that new shoot is growing very quickly, yep. and so if you tie it really tight. Then what'll happen is that it'll just it'll make a girdle mark on on that stem, and then if you get a wind or another bird landing on that stem, it'll just break off very easily. So you want okay. you don't want to girdle that new growth. Okay. Great. Thanks, Thanks Eldon. You're welcome. Bye now. You guys, uh, we have a lot of people patiently waiting for us through the break and calling in during the break. So we'll dive right into some calls. Starting off with Ian in the Saskatoon area. Good morning, Ian. What's your question for Rick and Jill? Hi, good morning. Yeah, I was out at Dutch Growers yesterday and picked up a big tall bottle of liquid calcium. I have uh, seven tomatoes that got blossom and rot. So, and I, I guess it's the watering. But um, so I applied that yesterday. Yep. And so, do I? Is it okay to use my, uh, you know, that eighteen, eighteen, twenty-one at the same time, or is it better to alternate, like say each weekend? Like I go one, one, one. Like you know, no. Can, I- can you do? You can do both at the same time. It's not a problem because you're you're basically just putting a, a supplement calcium. Like even the other day, I had um, I'm using lake water to water with, and my lake water is very high in alkalinity. And so with my grapes, I planted a whole bunch of grapes on a retaining wall, and they're mm-hmm. all turning yellow. So yesterday, I fertilized them and I put a, a liquid iron onto them just to get them so that they can because the the alkalinity is so high that the plants can't take up nutrients that are naturally in the soil. So I have to give them a little vitamin, just like you're doing mm-hmm. with the calcium. So, no, it's not a problem to put it on at the same time, or you can alternate it. Either one doesn't matter. Okay, and I mixed up a little too much, so, and then I've got uh, chili peppers in the same bed, so I added, I gave yep. the rest to them. That's okay? Yeah, peppers are good. You could do it to your your squash, your pumpkins. You could do it to all that kind of stuff. Okay, um, I also bought a container of um, bug eggs because I have red aphids on my Heliopsis plants. Yep. Okay, so I understand that that is poisonous to bees and stuff. So is it, I, I don't know if bees are more active during the day and then calm down more at night, kind yeah, of like they, wasps do? They, they calm down at night, but if you take a little spritzer bottle, okay, because the heliopsis aren't that big, and just spray the leaves, but don't spray the flower, okay? Because the, bee, oh, okay. the bees are going to land on the flower, so that you just spray the leaves. Try not to hit the flower, because I, I don't like spraying the, any of the flowers anyways. Because on, especially when it's hot like this, you'll get with with any kind of spray, you can get the brown little blotches on the flower from the spray itself. Okay, so just just take a little Mister bottle or whatever you have and just spray just the leaves of the heliopsis because that's where the aphids are anyways. They're on the bottom side of the leaves. Okay, not even the top side yeah. of the leaves. So you yeah, need even to on the stems. Yep, and on the stems. So just if you can spray upwards so that you're spraying, you know, the the bottom of the leaves as well. But just leave the flowers alone. Okay, last quick question. What yep. you said about yellowing of plants. So I've got helenium, or sneezeweed, I guess it's called, and next to it I have some really beautiful watermelon phloxes. They are, the helenium are really yellowing and the stalks are falling over. So I was in um, 
I was talking to Kathy yesterday. She's amazing, by the way. Yeah, she is um, good. So I, yeah, so I, I did fertilize, fertilize with some 2020-20, she suggested. Yep. Um, but I, I thought you didn't fertilize perennials. Yeah, perennials is okay yet uh, because they die down to the ground anyways, okay, every year. Okay, so the perennials I like to fertilize right up from spring, right up until until around September September first to be the last I would fertilize perennials for sure, and then I'm I'm going to get ready for wintertime. But um, but other than that, uh, no, you can fertilize perennials. They need food just like your shrubs and trees and your vegetables do. Okay, I'm writing this all down so I won't have to ask you again. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Have a great day. You, you too. too. Uh, we go to Judy in Regina. Good morning, Judy. What's your question for Rick and Jill today? Hey, good morning. I have a beautiful hosta on the west side of the house, and it's turning a yellowish-brown color. What can I do for it? Well, the biggest thing is with your hosta on the west side of the house, hostas actually prefer to be on the north or east side of the house. So it's getting too much sun, and the sun is burning it. And you'll usually see it turn that yellow color um, and then that brown color as well, too. So I would suggest um, digging it up, take an early morning or a later evening when it's a little bit cooler outside, take a nice root ball and move it to the east side of your house. You're going to find you're going to be a lot more successful with it. Uh-huh. Um, and then, and then I'd give it some fertilizer, get some nutrients in it, and get it going again. Or even if not that north, even not the side of the house, even if it has in on the north or west or east side of a tree, right? It yeah. can be anywhere in the yard as long as it doesn't get the direct hot afternoon sun. Can I use uh, alfalfa pellets for it? Absolutely, they love it. Okay. Okay. Thank you okay. for your time. Yeah, you're Thanks, Judy. Thanks for your call. Yeah. Bye. Bye now. Uh, we go to Lana in Eagle Lake. Good morning. What's your question for Rick and Jill today? Uh, the question is my garlic. Uh, all the leaves are all now brown, and it looks like the plant itself has shut itself off completely. So do I leave those bulbs in the ground for a while? You know, usually you, I, I pull them out, let them dry, and then I replant some of them later on in the season. But is it better to leave them in the ground or better now to take them out of the ground? They'll stay. They'll stay fresher in the ground, just like I like leaving my carrots and potatoes in the ground as long as I can, you know. Uh, yeah. But so either way, you can also store them. You know, you can hang them and do all those kind of things with them as well. Right now, if you want, or you can leave them in the ground. It really is up to you. It, yeah, no, I just think it's too early maybe to take them out of the ground because yeah. I think it might be a while till I put them back in. You know, replant them. Then just leave them in the ground. It won't hurt them at all. Can I ask you one more question? Yeah, of if course. If you're not ready, if you're not ready to dry them yet, then you don't. You want to leave them in the ground. So pull okay, them out, I will do that. Hang them. I will hang leave. them and dry them, and then you're good to go. Yeah, I will leave them in the ground. Um, my Juliet cherry bush. Yep. It's it, it's I don't know about maybe four years, not that big, but the mother plant seems to all the leaves are died have died, and there's lots of shoots coming up from the bottom, and and I understand that. It's on a true root, so the shoots coming up would be the Juliet cherry bush. But when I take my fingernail and then just scrape the bark on the mother tree, it looks like it's still green underneath. So shall I just leave that mother tree there and see what happens next year? Or yep, you, you can. But the only thing is, is there any oozing of the of sap out of the main stem of the bark of the main trunk of the tree? Do you no, see there that? is not. Okay, because a lot of times the way you know what they'll die for is because they'll get a virus. 
Okay. Okay. And so then you'll see oozing out of the out of, just look like little wounds, and it look like there's sap oozing out of them, and that's the tree trying to push the virus out. It's trying to get rid of it. And if that's the case, then then you want to get rid of that part of the tree because you don't want it to spread to your new suckers coming up. You see. Understood. Like uh, I, I, uh, snow came too early last year, so I didn't get to put the protection around that uh, trunk. Yep. And so some there was some damage. Some animal chewed oh, on it. Okay. When I, okay. Yep. When I saw when I saw that, I did spray it with that uh, tar spray in yep. the spring. But could that have been? That's, damage? No, yeah. Once the once the bark is gone, it'll it'll just dry up. Even if you spray it, there's there's no way unless you do a bark graft, and that's really tough to do to a, a double bark graft on top and bottom of the of a, basically a bridge called a bridge graft, and that's okay. really tough to do. Um, it's really hard to do. So you know what's happened now is the tree is not with this heat. The tree is not getting enough sap, and the and the tree is dying. So what you can do is you can trim that off anytime you. you now or next spring doesn't matter, but uh, you can trim it off. But your new suckers will be uh, that Juliet cherry again. So do I, like, there's lots of suckers coming up. Do I just, like, choose one? Yep, you can. You can leave multiple because I, I have some cherry, uh, sour cherries that are bushes rather than trees, right? So you can decide whether you want a tree or you want a bush. If you want a tree, I would suggest leaving three of them. Okay. For, for a year or two, and then going down one at a time until you find the one that you really like and is doing the best. Or I can just leave several, you said. Or you can leave several. It's fine. Thank you so much. I appreciate welcome. your info on your show. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. All right. We uh, will go to a quick break here in just a moment. But first, there's a, a very easy question that I think we can answer before we go to break. Can we put grass clippings in compost? Yes, but never a whole bunch at one time. Okay. Like you're not going to take a whole, you know, like your your whole, if you take your whole bag from your lawnmower and you've got a big bag on there and it's mm-hmm. right full and you dump the whole thing, uh, you got to layer it. Okay. So you want to layer it with leaves or twigs or... or, or Something to kind of break it up you know, a little bit. Ve- vegetable refuge from your kitchen or whatever, mm-hmm. and even a little bit of sawdust in between, a little bit of topsoil in between, layers of topsoil in between. It'll break down much quicker than just sitting in a big stack of grass. Perfect. And that takes us to our uh, news break. If you have any questions for Rick and Jill, give us a call or text one 332 8255 Jason, you're the next call up after news. We start off with Jason in Regina. Good morning, Jason. What's your question for Rick and Jill today? Good morning. I actually have a question. It seems like a popular one about this blossom end rot on my tomato plants. I have a raised flower bed that's probably about seven feet long, 18 inches tall, about 18 inches wide, and I have the beefsteak tomatoes in there. And I've been struggling for three years with the blossom end rot. And this year, I bet you I threw out probably 75% of my tomatoes. I switched the, the watering uh, to deep watering, less watering, added supplements to it, fertilizer, and it doesn't really seem to be correcting itself. Now, beside it, I have in a pot um, the black prints of the same soil, and they're flourishing great. So I'm not sure... What I could do, do I change a variety of tomato, or is there something else I could do Like when it comes to watering? I'm yep. not really sure what consistent watering is. Like, is it deep watering that goes right down to the bottom of my flower bed, or is it consistent more times a day with less watering? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, just, besides giving up my tomato variety, what else I could do? Yeah, more pulse, what I call pulse irrigating. So instead of just one big-time watering, because then the, the top will still dry out, 
especially in a raised bed like that, even the pot, even the pots as well. And also watch your type of a soil because when you got a bigger, um, when you got a bigger type of a, of a bed like that, you also get capillary action where the soil will, will the, the soil around it will draw soil away from your plant, especially because if you, if you, depending on the type of a pot you had, Let's say you had a, uh, you had a, you, I don't know how, how you grew your tomatoes, whether you grew them yourself or bought them from the garden center. But if I you have them, the garden center. yeah, so a lot of your pots, they have a perlite and peat moss type of a mix, right? And so, and then, the, but the roots grow up pretty quickly, but then you want to, uh, uh, you need a soil around them that's going to retain the moisture and not dry out really quickly. Because you got to remember those tomatoes are pretty big and there's lots of leaves and they're sucking moisture out of that soil very quickly. And if you have soil around it that doesn't retain the moisture, especially on a raised planter, um, whereas your you said your did your pot use the same soil or did you use a different type of soil? No, no, my pot used the exact same soil. Exact same soil. So that yeah. that's strange that your pot right beside it is doing well, right? Yeah, it's flourishing. Like the the plants themselves look absolutely awesome. Like the 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 plants are probably about almost four feet tall and they're full of tomatoes. But I bet you I threw about seventy of eighty percent of the tomatoes mm. out already. Yeah, no, it, it has to be the way you're watering. Like that, that's the only thing that, that's the biggest reason why blossom it happens. And you'll see that over and over. You'll you can look it up on a lot of, a lot of yeah. vegetable type of forums and you'll see it, it's the watering. You can add nutrients to help resist that, but it's the watering that'll cause blossom rot. So it's just a matter of you may have to try in that planter because it's, it's a bigger planter than your pot. You may have to just try a different variety that will do better in that spot. So, for it comes to watering, so do I water say more often but less deep? Because I don't want to overwater. Like, so yep. do I just more more often and yep. maybe once or twice a week go like a deep watering. And then from there on, just kind of yeah, the, more or less. The, the deep watering. If you if you did the deep watering like once a week maximum, you know, and then okay. you did the more consistent watering to keep the soil around it wet, then you'd be better off. Just but and then keep it. You know, like I said, you have to. You can't go wet, dry, wet, dry, like really wet, and then dry, really wet, and then dry. You have to make sure you keep that at consistent. So you just have to. You'll have to experiment, and you actually have to stick your finger in the soil to see how moist it is, and then you can how, figure out your timing. I'm sorry, but how how deep should it be moist? Like it should be like six inches deep. Like how? Like yeah, how at least four. I, at least four. Four inches, yeah. and it should be uh, consistently damp. Just moist. You're not yeah. not not wet, but just moist. And your plants will flourish the best. Go ahead, Jill. And another little tip that I heard from somebody who they were having trouble with the blossom and rot and the consistent watering is they mulch around the base of their tomato plants, and that just kept the moisture around those tomato plants a little bit more consistent, especially when we're getting these heat waves in the the summertime, too. So mulching around your tomato plants can also work, too. And can I can can I keep on using like is it going to be values like a, a calcium additive at this point or we're just because I know I've added so much supplements I'm sure that it's not lacking supplements is it going to be any benefit adding calcium or just strictly water no fertilizers because I don't want to start snapping like popping the tomatoes cracking from too much fertilizer yeah, exactly I'll get cat eyes and that from too much fertilizer but yeah just if you've been adding the nutrients already just keep on your regime as you've been doing and okay. then uh, and then but just just monitor the the uh, the watering cuz the, the the tomato plants are still flowering right now they're still going to produce more we still have some time mm-hmm. so uh, so you'll be you you want you won't be able to change what's there but you you want moving forward you want to be able to get whatever tomatoes you can get left for the season you want them to be the, the so you can pick them and eat them yeah sounds good okay thank you for your time appreciate Thanks, it Jason. have a good day you too uh, we go to Yvonne in Regina. Good morning. What's your question for Rick and Jill? Uh, good morning. Um, 
I have a volunteer, a sherbet chook cherry tree that appeared in our yard. It's now, it's been there about two years. It's about three feet tall and it's got sprouts going all over the lawn. I want to get rid of it. It's about a foot away from my uh, ornamental apple tree, which is mature. Uh, I want to find out if I can put Roundup on it. And if I do... Will the uh, will that affect my apple tree? No. I know the roots are. No, it won't. It no, won't. No, no, it won't. They won't fuse together. Uh, not if there was another. If there was another Schubert cherry there, you could yes, but not if it's another. If it's an apple or something like that. But just paint the the, the Roundup onto the leaves. Okay. Onto the leaf, okay. Yep. You don't need to spray because then you're going to hit anything that's around it, obviously. So, okay, just, so just, I, do I do the, like there's a, the tall tree that's about three feet tall, yep. and then there's sprouts going through the lawn, yep. which have been cut because we've been cutting the lawn. Okay. And do I do those separately, or just do I just need to do the main tree? The main tree would be the biggest one, but anything anywhere anywhere there's leaves, because that's the way the Roundup takes it in, right? Is so anything on the leaves, leaves okay. on the leaves themselves, even the one in the lawn? Just, okay, just spray them, but just, the okay. but just make sure you're not stepping forward onto the, those leaves <laughs> as you're going. Because right? <laughs> yeah, you'll have little patches on your lawn. Okay, that's that's what I'm going to do today. Yeah. It's supposed to be hot today. Is it okay to do it when it's hot, or is it better in the morning or it, evening? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nope. I have a, an alfalfa uh, question for you. Can I ask it? Yeah, for go sure. ahead. Okay. Um, how often can I make an alfalfa tea to apply to my plants, uh, my tomatoes and my potted uh, uh, annuals? Um, is there too much? Uh, no, not too much. You could you could do it. Uh, yeah, there is too much because there's too much of like, things like tomatoes and that kind of stuff. You can give it too much, but there's such a low nitrogen in it that it's not okay. that big of a deal. You okay. could use a, a, even a weaker solution just about every second watering if you wanted to. A weaker every yep. second water. Yep. So like I use a five-gallon pail yep. with two cups of alfalfa. So then I just double the water then on, on yep. if I'm... If you wanted to go at a time, or, or you can do it, you know, full strength every week if you want, that's that's not a okay. problem. Okay. So can you, uh, do you still have to use uh, fertilizer if you're using alfalfa pellets? Not, you- not only on vigorous growing plants, okay? So if, if you have more vigor, like in the vegetables, don't really need it that much. But if you go okay. doing it on annuals and perennials and that kind of stuff, then you're going to want to add a supplement of nitrogen. Of okay. nitrogen. Okay. Yep. Thank you for your info. Okay. I love your show. I've been listening to it since the, since the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> That's been a Thank long you. time. <laughs> yeah, and I don't miss it. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye now. We are going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with more Garden Talk. Larry, you are next up, so please continue to wait patiently. We'll chat with you soon. Larry has been patiently waiting on the line, so we'll get right to you in Osler. Good morning, Larry. What's your question for Rick and Jill? Good morning. Patiently waiting. Are you serious? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I assumed. It's a, <laughs> it's a dream come true. Oh, good. I heard somebody say watermelon squash. Yep. And? Is there such a thing? The watermelon. Jill? Watermelon squash. I mean, if you're talking about a watermelon squash, you could be talking about a, a few different things because watermelon is in the squash family, right? So um, a, a melon is in the squash family just by in nature and how it grows. So it depends on the context that somebody is talking about it in. Okay. They also the, might be talking about like... The two, have they? Not that I know um, of. Not that I know of. Um, not that I carry in the greenhouse. Um, the closest thing that I would get from something that looks like a watermelon, but it's 
is more of a cucumber, like a cucumelon. Um, if you've grown those, are like little snackable cucumbers that look like a watermelon um, and very, very cute. So that, that would be the only thing that I can think of maybe that somebody is talking about, but nothing that I've heard of. Um, maybe we can throw that out to our listeners if you know of something, maybe just text it into us. Well, I think this winter Rick should get busy in his, uh, <laughs> and cross some for us. Cross some. A project. Thank you for, thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, welcome. Larry. Have thank a good you. day. What, what was that one we had for a little while? It didn't stick around really. That potato tomato cross, you know? So we had that That'd for a little while too. That'd be a tough one. We had, we had that one too. <laughs> and was, so. It was called ketchup and fries. And ketchup, what it was, it was yes. a, a tomato plant grafted onto a potato plant. And, uh, and I can still get it, but we just don't sell as many of it. It's quite expensive to, to do. But um, I just looked looked it up quickly, and uh, pumpkins and squashes do not cross-pollinate with cucumbers, watermelons, or citrons. So you can't get a cross-pollination with a watermelon and a squash and a pumpkin. So that's just they'd have, that they'd have to be grafted. Really they'd have to be grafted again, and that'd make them very expensive. So Exactly. Yeah. That one would be quite the project, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we can do a text here. Um, this one is coming from... Oh, there's no name on this one. Uh, we lost an apple and cherry tree and have suckers coming up from the bottom of each. We figure we watered too late last fall and the roots froze over in the winter. Can we save one sucker from each tree and grow new trees from that? Yes. The question is yes. The, the cherry tree uh, most likely... It will grow on its own and have its same fruit, so you don't have to graft that one. Okay. The apple tree, if it's, if it's coming from below the graft, you can actually, yeah, you can let it grow up because it'll be a, a, a basically a, 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 a malice baccarat, or it's a, it's a wild apple that has tiny little crabs on it. Okay. And you can graft a tame apple onto those ones, absolutely. All right. Uh, looks like we have a call from North Dakota. Uh, Darren, what's your question for Rick and Jill today? Ah, yes. I have some cottonless cottonwoods that haven't really produced any leaves all year. And uh, I was just wondering if I should just let them go for a year or is there something I could do in the meantime? I've been watering them pretty heavily. Yeah, they may come from the base again, but you can basically take your pair of pruners or your fingernail and just scrape the bark. And if it's green underneath, they might come yet. Uh, if it's brown underneath, then they're done. Like right now, I'm, I'm looking, I drive into the country every day, and there's a lot of poplar trees that all have their leaves turned yellow and some are falling off and are actually bare. And they'll come back next year, okay? Just because they, they, they're right. protecting themselves because of heat stress. But if yours never budded yeah. out and leafed out at all this year, then... They budded, but... They, they budded, but uh, like maybe 5% of them. Okay. Um, you know, actually got leaves on them, and there's five in a row, and the two on the the west side are they just they're the biggest ones out of the bunch. There's out of those five, they're the they're a little bit bigger, probably I don't know six inches around. The other ones are four or yep. something. So so yeah, if they if they didn't leaf out at all this year, they, hopefully they'll come from the base again. But one thing I remember of poplars is that you you. You have to quit fertilizing them around the 15th. If you're fertilizing them all, you do, you want to put, don't want to put a slow release fertilizer on them. You want them to shut down right. in, starting in September and you want to slow down on the watering because around uh, in the fields, it was always around uh, basically September 25th, 26th. Cause I knew I had to, when I had to put a, a, a pre-emergent herbicide down, I had to do it before the leaves fouled off because otherwise the ground would be covered with leaves and I couldn't put my herbicide down. And so it was around the 25th or 26th. That's when the leaves would all drop. 
And if the leaves right. all drop, didn't turn color and just drop green, that's when I had the most damage. That means I was growing them too, I was pushing them too long into the season. And then I had some tip kill on them and some branches die. So uh, that's one thing about them is you want them to shut them down. But in through this drought, you want to keep them enough so that they can get through it. That's the big one. Yeah, and usually in the fall they keep the leaves longer than yep, they you know, do. most other trees too. Yep. And they're you know, they're big, big leaves. Yep, they're big leaves. But the biggest thing is to try to keep them shut down. Uh, in the fields I had one spot where they were where they took the most damage is right next to my container field because the overhead sprinklers mm-hmm. kept them watered oh, right yeah. to the end of the right until the October. And so those are the ones that I always had trouble with. And that's because I didn't shut them down properly, but I couldn't. And um, so it was just one of those things. So that's the big one of poplars. Just get them to shut down on time, and then you'll be fine. Okay. Okay. But the ones you. You ha- ones you have right now, if they haven't come up by now, they're probably not going to. No, I don't think okay. so either. Okay. But just hope for the best, best next year, I guess. Yep. Thank yep. you. Take, take, <laughs> Thanks, some hard, take some hardwood cuttings in, yep. in March and then stick them in the ground and start some new ones on the ones that are good. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Good. Kay. Thank you. Bye, Bye now. All right. We have Kurt in Saskatoon. Good morning, Kurt. What's your question for Rick and Jill? I have a question about tomatoes. My tomatoes look great on the top. I put, pick one, they're kind of black and brown on the bottom. Looks like they're rotting. Hmm. The tomato, the tomato itself, or the leaves on the plant? Sorry, the tomato itself. The leaves on the plant you, look great. Like the plant's nice and green. Yeah, if it's coming from the bottom of the plant, you most likely have blossom and rot, and that's just from the the inconsistency in in watering and being able to keep those plants hydrated as they're growing. So once the plants start to get fruit on them, we don't normally see that. We we still have to keep it consistent, but it's as the plant is growing, it's going wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry, and keeping it that consistent um, through it, through that growing process, especially when it's in bloom, um, is really important or else once the fruit um, forms that you're going to get those brown spots on it. So that consistent watering and then making sure you use the right fertilizer. We've been talking a lot about that on the show today. Um, using a fertilizer with some added calcium in it will definitely help. But again, you want to do that right from the very beginning, not just now when you're seeing the problem. Okay. That's very good. Thank you. Thanks, Kurt. All right. Thank you. We're, we're hearing a consistent story today. Yes. And yeah. it's because of the heat. We always in the really hot summers. We'll see that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and, and we're, we're having a bunch of hot summers in a row, which is we've had before, you know, back, I remember back in the eighties, it was the same thing. We had a long stretch of a bunch of years where we had the really hot weather, even a little bit hotter than not every day, but yeah. longer, longer, hotter for longer, longer periods, longer stretches back then. And, um, and the same thing again. So just have to remember consistent water, consistent water, consistent. It's hard though, yeah. because you're not home all day long to really keep the moisture right. So just kind of. Rick, do- I talked. I talked about this earlier, but also mulching around your um, yes. your vegetable plants. I think that that is something that is and it's not done as often. And um, we a lot of people when they have like a large garden, they would mulch, but people aren't doing it in the raised beds as yep. much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that maybe we have to start doing, especially if you get through these hot hot periods of time. Yep. If you're mulching around your plants, that's going to keep the, the soil moisture at a consistent level a little bit more. And one thing I want to add to that, to remember mulching, because I saw that the other day when people put mulch even up against their shrubs and trees. They stacked mm-hmm. it three or four inches high right up against the trunk of the tree. 
Okay, and you can't do that. You can put it out okay. around the tree three or four inches high, but when you come up against the trunk, it has to go down to a half an inch to an inch. Okay. And then with the vegetables, it's just a little thin layer against the trunk, against the stem of the vegetables. You can't stack up three or two or three inches high up against the vegetable because you'll just rot the stem away. Okay, so out in the out in the aisle of of your garden, it can be deeper, but then right against the plant. Just a little layer just to keep the sun off of it and keep the moisture there. All right, perfect. We are going to take a quick break for news, and we'll be back with more of your questions on Garden Talk. Marvin waiting for us in Regina. Good morning, Marvin. What's your question for Rick and Jill? Well, I have a comment and confirming what you're saying uh, about the inconsistent watering of tomatoes. Yep. And I'll just get through that because I have another point. Sure. Uh I have those uh, black things about 10 inches in diameter, about a foot long, and I push them over top of my young tomatoes to protect them. But I leave them there so that as they grow and I water them, the water stays somewhat there. And I water them every day, just a splash. I, I feel it like it's a consistency with children. They like regularity. <laughs> and so I give them a splash every day. My tomatoes are kicking it. Okay. Now, secondly, the heat domes that we've been having. Yep. I, I have four thermometers, and I had them out in direct sun, and they were reading 48 to 50 degrees Celsius. Wow. And that's direct sun. If you and I stood in the sun, we'd get burnt. So yeah. we go into the shade, we can feel the heat, but it's not that hot. Okay. So my, it, I got burnt. Uh, we had a heat dome a couple of years ago, and it stunted my garden. So this year, I thought, it's coming. What I'm going to do, use that concept with the frost. In the fall, we cover our tomatoes and, and regular whatever yep. to, to keep them a little bit longer. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what I've done this year is that I went out and I created a tent city in my front yard, covered my cucumbers, my watermelon, tomatoes, pumpkins. And you know how leaves will wilt over top of the stem on a tomato, uh, a pumpkin or yep. a cucumber. Yep. So when I pulled the sheets off of them, they just looked like normal. Now, I stuck those thermometers underneath these uh, little uh, frost covers, we'll call them. Yep. And it was reading 36 to 37 consistently. So with that direct sun off of those leaves, yep. they didn't get burnt. My, my tomatoes, my garden is kicking it. Just like when you go to the beach, you sit underneath the umbrella. Yeah. Right? That's right. Still like the heat, but you just don't want that direct sun coming on you. That direct sun is yep. what's doing the damage. Yep. So, like, if you can share that with your people, it works. Yep. And then, like you said, a lot of times when you water, you water quickly, right? And right. what happens is that water spreads out. And so when you stick your finger, that's why I always say, get your finger all dirty, stick it in the ground and see if we water down deep enough. Because sometimes if we don't water, we water just lightly. Like I was just watering the other day. I have a little bit of a slope where I put a bunch of flowers in. And so it takes me longer to water that spot because the water just runs. Yeah. And so it doesn't penetrate the soil, right? And so yeah. what you did with your little inserts is you were holding the water there from not spreading out for a long distance. And so it's penetrating more. And right? I give them a shot every day. Yeah. And so so you had more concentrated water going to right down to where the roots were. That's right. Yeah. And with your flowers, what I've done to mine is I call, I, I create a bowl around them. Yep. So the water doesn't run off over towards the house yep. or whatever. It stays in that 
10 foot or 10 inch wide area and uh uh it's more directed down to the root instead of running away just like we put a dish around our trees right Mm -hmm. yeah uh, and and for my pumpkins and my cucumbers i got a stake there with a red uh red piece of cloth on it because when the leaves get up you don't know where the root is yeah so i've created that bowl around those as well and i i look for that stick that red uh ribbon Give it a walk, give it a shot, give it a shot, give it a shot. Like, my garden's doing really well. You know what? You know what? Amazing. You know what? That I love these kind of calls because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody has different experiences and there's no wrong way and there's no right way, really. It's the way that you have success with it. And you're having success and I'm glad you're sharing that with everybody. That's yeah. awesome. Well, you're welcome and hopefully I, I get an honorable mention in your credit. <laughs> <laughs> Marvin and Regina. Right, Marvin and Regina. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Marvin. Bye-bye. Bye now. That's a good system when yes. you're uh, yep. with so many people having issues with watering. That's uh, Water. see, if you can crack the watering code, that yep. seems to be and, and and also the shade. I mean, the plants the same way. I mean, they'll they'll get sunburned just like you will, mm-hmm. like sitting out in the sun. So you can take the heat, but you just need need to have that little bit of not getting this direct sunlight yeah. off of you, and that's all it takes. A little bit of a break and from using, the sun. Using that white frost blanket, blanket works really well, yep. and. I've seen lots of people use it, and they almost create like little greenhouses over top of their garden, especially their raised beds. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it, it does the same thing. It helps with the frost early spring, keeps the heat off of them, and also keeps the bugs out, too. And so there's lots of great ways you can You could do use that. a simple thing as a folding lawn chair, right, if you only have mm-hmm. a few tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Just unfold it, put it over top of the plant, if it's, if as long as it's tall enough, right? Yep. And uh, you've just got some shade just for those really hot days. Mm-hmm. Not a bad, uh, not a bad system. Any way of just shading it, that's perfect. All right. If you have a question or you have some tips you'd like to share, you can give us a call. 1-877-332-8255. We have a couple of texts here that we can probably get to before a quick break. Uh, This one is, uh, good morning. Um, They live in Wood Mountain in the very south central part of Saskatchewan. For their fifth year, they're dealing with drought. This year, they're also inundated with grasshoppers. Mm -hmm. They say their yard has been absolutely decimated by these hateful creatures. I feel like a lot of people are feeling that way. Um, Every bush, flower, and tree has been devoured. My question is, will my plants and lawn grass go into dormancy, and could they recover next year? Yeah, a lot of the grass in that will recover. Um, Some of the plants, depending on, you know, if it happens multiple years in a row, then, then it's really hard on them. Just like last year, the deer came into my yard and ate a whole bunch of the branches on my spruce trees and that. Oh, if that happens the second year in a row, those branches aren't going to come back. They're going to mm-hmm. die. And I'll have these little pom-pom trees with the little tufts at the <laughs> yep. top of the deer can't reach. So the same thing with the grasshoppers. And so, uh, so you may want to look into, um, you know, spraying that garlic, garlic spray, you know, like mosquito barrier, that kind of stuff around the yard, um, using the, you know, the pyrethrin or there's, um, uh, for there's uh, the product called I don't ha- handle it but I know you can get it. it's called EcoBan. Okay. It's like a it's like a it's like a brand type of meal you can spread it with a lawn spreader around the outside edge, not right in the garden, mm-hmm. but you can use it around the perimeter of the garden. Okay. And then that stops them. I long time ago I can't remember the last year the Saskatoon had the, that bad of infestation, yeah. but I used them in my garden and it stopped them dead. Making sure that you keep your grass shorter, you know, around there, but. Sometimes that doesn't even work. Mm-hmm. I mean, they came across to get my ornamental cabbage. They came across like a, 
almost like an 80 foot concrete pad. I don't know how they didn't get burnt on the the concrete, you know, going across to get at those ornamental cabbages. Mm -hmm. It almost as if it could smell them. Yeah. And uh, so what are you guys doing here? There's no vegetation around here. (laughs) Where there's a well, I guess. Except for these pots, you know, with ornamental cabbage in it. (laughs) And so so then I had to spray the base of my pots. And then I was able with the the pyrethrin, with actually with, uh, he used uh, Dr. Doom. And uh, and so that got them when they when they crossed it, and so there's all um, kinds of things you can do that. Rick, a plant that I learned about, and it actually has nice, beautiful purple flowers, but Russian sage um, yes. is actually a grasshopper deterrent. So if you're wanting something to plant that's a, a grasshopper deterrent, even just around like the perimeter of your bed that looks absolutely beautiful, um, plant some Russian Russian sage, and that will definitely help too. And they get um, golden. They- Go ahead, Jill. Go ahead. Sorry. Goldenrod is another one. Um, gets the yellow flowers on it. But those two plants in particular, they're um, they're not only ones that uh, grasshoppers don't like, but they will actually deter grasshoppers. Too. Perfect. And they actually look good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doing uh, two things, looking two good things. and helping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to answer more of your questions. You can give us a call, one 332 8255 well, we have a bit of a, a break in the call list over here. Uh, just we've been talking about it off and on throughout the whole show. It seems like a lot of people are are struggling with the uh, fertilizing, watering. It's kind of that weird time of year we're dealing with the yep. heat. Are people what What are kind of your top suggestions to get people to get through this sort of heat spell in the middle of the summer? Yeah, I, I, it's just consistent watering. Bottom mm-hmm. line, it's just being out there and being diligent and. And watering, just like the last caller he was saying, right, from Regina, yeah. is saying just making sure you water, you're just not giving it a little bit of water. Like mm-hmm. uh, like that's how I train my people out in, in the in the tree lot. Like a lot of times you water and you get impatient. You go to the next plant, you go to the next plant. You want to yeah. give them all water, right? But then I go, I go right behind him and I pull the plant out of the pot <laughs> and I show them that they only watered the top inch of yeah. the pot. The bottom of the pot down to the, you know, the, the next... The next foot of the pot, the roots are bone dry. Mm-hmm. So I said, you have, sometimes have to go and water once, and then you go go back, and then you come back again. You water a second time, and you come back, and you water a third time, sometimes a fourth time, until you get that capillary action where the water is absorbing and then keeps some, keeps gets some wet. And once you wet the soil down lower, down deeper, the the next time you water, it's easier to water. The water will penetrate. Just so mm-hmm. it doesn't get absorbed by the, the dust that's at the top, right? Yes. You, can, you might have to do a few laps. Yeah. So you have to make, and the only way you do that is by probing the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not sure how to do it, get yourself a moisture meter, right? Okay. If you don't want to stick your, if you if you go get a, you know, a manicure all the time, <laughs> yep. and, and then you might want to get a moisture meter, and you can stick a moisture meter down, and you can be able to use that, and it works well, well that way too. Lots of ways to yep. kind of work the system, I guess. Yes. Um, we have a text here about hydrangeas. My hydrangea not has not set any bulbs and does not flower. What can I do? It does not flower. Does, so then basically two things that happens with that. One is it was planted too deep. Okay. Sometimes it'll just, it'll, cause it'll come up and grow slowly. And mm-hmm. I have a few that, that happened to me where we added soil to it. And they actually started coming up about three weeks ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and so they're going to they're going to be really tough to start blooming. And uh, another th- one is is with hydrangeas is watch your pH of your soil. They want a pH around seven. Okay, if it's really alkaline soil, they'll be a lot slower. And so, in fact, around mine because I used talked earlier, my my water I'm using is really high in alkalinity. Mm-hmm. I put some Tagger ninety, which is an elemental slow release sulfur around each plant. Oh, okay. 
And so that just every time they get water, it'll help neutralize the water. And so uh, you can do that just to help them to produce. And remember that uh, hydrangeas bloom on new wood. So what you want to do is you want to cut them down in the spring, about a third to a half. And then you need to fertilize them every three weeks to get a lot of that new growth. And you'll get all the blooms on the new growth. So okay. those are- and also, if you're keeping your plants really dry when they're getting into that budding stage too, they're not going to set their buds if, yep. you, if you underwater your plants and let them dry out too. And also make sure hydrangeas don't like to be in the, uh, against a building in the hot sun on the south or west side. Okay. okay? My, I have some out in the acreage. I have them right out in the open. Like there's no building, nothing around. Mm-hmm. They do fine or have another shrub that's protecting it a bit from the sun. Okay. In the hot part of the days, they do fine there. But there was, I was in one yard just the other day, and they had put it on the south side of the yard against a white siding. And I says, you need to move this plant. A sauna. <laughs> you need to move this plant. Because remember how he's talking about how, you know, in the direct sun, it might yeah. be 36 degrees out. But when the sun is right on, on you, it's yeah. actually hotter. And the same thing when you get reflection off the building, it's even hotter than 36 degrees. If it's 36 degrees, it might be 10 degrees warmer in that spot. Yeah. So you just need to pick the right place. And that might be the problem with this one, just in the wrong place. And so... Um, Worth uh, worth uh, checking in, okay. kind of where the location is, I guess. Yep. Um, we have Steve on the line, or Stephen on the line in Elrose. Hi there, Stephen. What's your question for Rick and Jill today? Um, my question is, I have at the lake um, towering poplars or vertical poplars. Yep. Is there any way of stopping them from growing any taller than they are now? No, not really. Um, just trimming the top. You can trim the top, but I find what happens is as soon as I trim the top, that a lot of times they'll, they'll, for some reason, they get weaker and it attracts a poplar bore to them. Okay? And then that's a poplar bore that mines into the trunk of those tower poplars and then they kill the tree. So you're better off just to keep that tree healthy. And um, is, is there a reason why you don't want to grow taller? Is there wires up there or something like that that you're trying to stop and grow into? Well, I was just afraid of like wind being an issue. But if you're so, if you're top them, then it's gonna. It'll actually make them weaker up there. It'll actually make them weaker oh, okay. up there if you top them. Okay, so, so just you, leave them the way they are. Just leave them the way they are, but keep them healthy. Don't stop watering them and don't stop fertilizing them because that's when you get trouble with them. I'm I'm actually looking out of this my the window here at two taller poplars, and I can see one of them. The top is all dead, and that's because it got stressed. And the bugs came into them, and the whole top half of the tree is dead. And the one beside it is fine. And uh, and so you just got to keep them healthy. And the bugs will go after the stressed trees and won't go after the healthy trees. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Stephen. All right. We have a couple of texts that we can probably get to here. You can also give us a call, 1-877-332-8255. This one is... Oh, yeah. I just want to add one thing. Also, once you top a tower poplar... Mm -hmm. They will tend to sucker. Oh, okay. And you don't want them to sucker. Okay. What happens when they sucker? Well, they send shoots up in the lawn and <laughs> the garden. In they get carried yard, away a little bit. They get carried away. Okay. They think they're in trouble and they need to start sending up little babies everywhere. <laughs> and they will send them everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. <laughs> and you do probably want to avoid bu- bugging the neighbors yes. with those ones. Um, this one is just uh, praising the benefits of mulching soil and around garden plants, which we've kind of been talking about yes. a little bit here. Uh, they say keep some moisture in, but also the soil is much cooler. It makes those intensive or those intense heat days more tolerable 
for plants. And that's from Sue in Silver Park. And you know what? Um, how many times this year have we had people calling me that they have problems with portulaca and things yes. like that in their garden? Yep. They put mulch down. Portulaca don't like mulch. So there's a, there's a lot right. of benefits. So there's lots of weeds that will keep down. It won't keep down some of perennial aggressive weeds, but most weeds, the mulch will keep down as well. So you get uh, a few different benefits. Yes. You get that moisture in there, you cool it down, yep. and you don't have to worry about so many, uh, so many weeds hanging around. Yep. <laughs> um, we also have a question here. I have a large cottonwood that's infested with aphids. The tree looks sick and lots of uh, leaves turning brown. Would the aphids be to blame or could it be the heat stress? No, both. Combo. Because the, the aphids are sucking on the, on the sap, right, like mm-hmm. crazy, and you know, they're just dripping a lot of those trees. Yeah. And then the tree has no moisture to replace that, replace it, right, with. Mm-hmm. So the drought is causing it that it can't replace the moisture, and then they're just sucking the leaves dry. Seeing that lots right now, there's, there's a bluff of choke cherries right beside me. Mm-hmm. They're just, I've been hauling out my hose out to the bluff of trees, trying <laughs> to save, trying just to... Try to save choke cherries because the... Between the drought and the bugs, they're just they're killing them. It's just and a tough so combination just, to deal you know, with. So just a matter of putting some extra water out there and 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 helping them get through this part. All right. Uh, we are going to take a quick break for news, but we still have lots of time to get to your questions. You can give us a call at one 332 8255 It's also the same number to send in your texts. Rick and I are in the studio today, but Jill is out adventuring. Jill, uh, what, what? where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> Well, right now I'm in Kelowna on my way back to Saskatoon, but um, this past week I've spent my um, my week around, I went down towards Seattle, Maryland area. We did the plant trials down there, looked for some new varieties. Um, then we headed up, up north into like Surrey, Langley area. There's tons of greenhouses. Horticulture is huge there. Um, met with some different growers, trying to find some new plant varieties um, and some new mixes. Um I find it tricky to find things that are prairie hardy. So um, trying to find some new growers, new varieties, and they're coming out with new things every year in the perennial area that um, they're breeding things, um, finding new colors. So we're going to get some new varieties in for next year. And then visiting some of my annual growers as well and tropical growers, um, trying to keep things more local here in Canada. So um, working um, with them just to develop new product lines and product mixes, see some new colors and see some variations that have more vigor and hardiness um, to our climate. And sometimes I find when you go actually personally visit those nurseries, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have a connection with them and you start talking to them and they say, you know, this is the kind of, we have new hardy plants and the guy said, well, I can grow that and I can grow that and I can grow that. And all of a sudden you have a, somebody who'll grow a new plant for you that you can't find anywhere else and mm-hmm. they'll say, I can do that for you. And so those are the connections that you just need to do every once in a while with some of your growers. Yeah, just kind yeah, of so network been, a bit. I've been living the dream. I brought one of my employees with me um, and he's been having a great time. This is the first time seeing some of the things grown on the scale that they're being grown out here and um, just the excitement in someone's eyes. Uh, if you're ever driving by a greenhouse and have a, a chance to pop in, there's so many new things in different different areas. And that's one thing we were talking about is um, something that's consistent wherever you go around the globe is there's plants everywhere and it's a connection that we have um, no matter where you are is the things growing around us. Okay, now Jill, do you remember the times when we used to go on hol- family holidays? And then we used to drive by, you know, a greenhouse and then the kids would they'd be really good at spotting the greenhouses. Mm-hmm. And then they would say, Dad, look over there, those horses over there and that. So I wouldn't see the greenhouses. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that, Jill? 
I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, some of the some of the nurseries being so big, and they they take us on a tractor and wagon through the fields, and as kids, and we have to have many pa- many hours of patience as kids going through the, the greenhouses and and seeing the varieties and listening to Dad, as you know, Rick Rick likes to talk, so um, no. <laughs> listening to him talk to all the growers and network and. Uh, but it, it's good. I'm glad. And some of the growers, we have the same connections. Some of them are the same growers that my grandfather used. And now I'm working with the third generation just as I am third generation in the business. Very cool. Yes. You never know how long these uh, connections are going to last exactly. and what you're going to get out of that yep. uh, that little tour you do. Yep. <laughs> now, now she has kids that are finding the greenhouses and look, telling her to look the other direction. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we have some texts that we can get to here before our next break. This one coming from, oh, I got to go up to the next one, Gail in Regina. Uh, I have a newly built flower bed that is filled with topsoil. Should I be adding anything else before I plant perennials in it? Yeah, basically make sure that uh, the number one thing with perennials uh, is is putting a you know you can put a fertilizer into it already to be to start it off. You can put even a compost like even a manure or cattle manure or sheep manure, mushroom manure, anything of those kind of things into it that'll just help bring some of that fiber and everything else that food that they might need and all those microbes that will be growing in there are growing. And then once you plant your flowers, make sure we talk about the mulch. Putting the mulch in the perennial beds is they love that mulch and they'll do way better for you in that mulch, especially if it's in a planter. Okay, um, this yeah, one... and that's that's a good point, Rick. Too with uh, with any raised beds or putting perennials into pots, the outside of the pot gets hot, which increases the temperature of the soil temperature. Yeah. So if you put the mulch on top, it will keep the soil cooler, um, which will help that plant. Because perennials, if they get too hot. The soil temperature gets too hot; they will go dormant for you. And also, so. if it's if it's a small planter, you can even put a, a, a styrofoam insulation on on the on the on the walls on the inside walls of your planter. It'll help keep the frost from getting at the roots in the wintertime, but also help keep it, the soil cooler from the heat coming into the side as well. Okay. So a few different options yes. to uh, to choose from there. Um, we have Lorna in Grandora. Uh, could the cause of a huge brown area or areas on my acreage lawn be caused by me not aerating for many years? I've watered a lot, but it doesn't seem to uh, be any issues with sod worm or anything along that line. Should I be aerating now or waiting until spring? I have some spots in my lawn because I planted a whole bunch of new lawn and uh, I've just done some tests and I found out that I didn't quite spread the topsoil evenly. And the places where there was less topsoil, that's the areas that are drying out quicker. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go and, you know, as fall comes around, I'm actually going to, um, I'm going to cut my grass short and I'm actually going to top grass, put a little more soil in those areas and let the grass grow up through it. You know, just half inch at a Mm -hmm. time, one inch at a time and raise those areas up a little bit. And I think that that's the reason why I'm having trouble with those brown spots is there's too dry. Also, Jill, I was in your yard just yesterday, <laughs> and you have a dry spot because you planted a tree right in front of your one of your sprinklers. And so now you have a shadow, which 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 gets your, there's Uh-oh. a brown spot in your lawn. So now we've got to move that sprinkler. <laughs> yeah, I just finished planting a lot of trees in my backyard. Yeah. So I, that's the next step is getting all those sprinklers into the, new, into yep. the right spot. Yes. <laughs> when dad is Rick Van Dyke from Dutch Growers. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. We have Carrie on the line from Saskatoon. Hi there, Carrie. What's your question? Hi, Carrie. There we go. What's your question for Rick and Jill? 
Okay. My daughter came, I sent my daughter to, I don't know, I, I said, you need to get me some plants. And I said, I need at least a couple cucumbers. And she's never gone to a greenhouse before. She comes home with this kind that's called a burpless. I've never heard of it. And it was growing great. And then from the main stem of the plant, and then about two feet out, it was starting to, uh, that from the from the ground to about two feet out, it was starting to turn like a yellowishy kind of color, but the rest was a beautiful bright green. And I was getting lots of blossoms. And then I was out there looking, and all of a sudden, like, where's all my blossoms? And then I caught the culprits. It was sparrows. Yep. They took my, my blossoms away, but they forgot a couple, and those ones did turn into a cucumber, and they got about three inches long, but they weren't getting sick. And then I went out there yesterday. They were yellow and curled into a sea, and this morning I was out there. They're all shriveled up. What's going on? And what is a burpless? A burpless, sorry. A burpless cucumber is just a variety of cucumber, and they have um, a lower um, lower acidity in them, and uh, they actually have a lower bitterness in them, too. So a lot of people like um, planting a burpless cucumber just because of their um, lower lower bitter, bitterness compound um, in them. So that's one thing about them. They have usually a, a low setting CD, so they'll usually start producing um, their flowers and, and fruit at about 60 days. So that's one thing reason why people like to go with the burpless um, cucumbers. Um, as far as the issues that you're having, it's, that's usually not something that I see with, a, with the variety of the cucumber. Um, that's usually something that we see with more, like what we've been talking about with the tomato plants, uh, with, the, with the watering. So um, with, with us having these extreme amounts of heat and then it, it going dry, um, just keeping those plants hydrated, that's when we're starting to see the curling of the fruit. And you might be, with if you're getting the, the yellowing and the curling out of the extremities, that may, must mean, also could mean that your nutrients are running out. So what, making sure that your, 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 your calcium and your magnesium and all that kind of stuff is good so that your iron, so that the plants, when they get out to the end, they'll be yellow and they'll be almost veiny and, and almost cuppy. And so that means you've got to watch your watering and watch your nutrients when you get to that stage as well. The other thing, too, with the burpless variety is they are a bit more of a vining variety. So I usually find putting them on a trellis or even in a tomato cage will have a lot better success with the plant because the fruit doesn't like to sit on the ground. So that's a, another little trick with those guys, too. Yeah, like right like from the ground out to about uh, two to three feet is the yellow part, and the, yep. beyond that is vibrant green. Yep. So just just watch your nutrients. That's the big one. Make sure that you got a good vegetable, organic vegetable fertilizer, because you don't want to use too much nitrogen. But you need to a little bit of nitrogen. But you need also all the other nutrients that that'll keep that, that those the color of your plant uh, to the what you need. So is the plant gonna still produce? Because I am getting more blossoms. Yep. As long as the sparrows don't keep getting on top of them, you might have to net. You I might. I was so furious. <laughs> you might. I'm looking. At Going, Kate, it was full of blossoms and yeah. then they're gone. You might have Where'd to use go? you might have to use a bird netting, you know, to put over top of them to keep those sparrows off. All right, Carrie, thank you so much for your question. We have to take a quick break, then we'll be back with more garden talk. 
Uh, we have a couple calls waiting for us, so we'll go right to Chance in Regina. Good morning, Chance. What's your question for Rick and Jill today? Hey, good morning, guys. I um, I planted a Japanese lilac. It's the really nice white flowers. Yep. Ivory silk. Um, yeah, that sounds right. Yep. It's about it's about eight years old. I planted it, and in, in I don't think it was a great area, but it's really taken off this last year. I think just because it's getting a lot more sun now, it's getting a bit higher. Yep. Uh, but two years ago, I noticed on the trunk of it, at the bottom, kind of right where it hits the ground, it's split in the trunk. And I'm wondering, do I need to worry about that? I'd be devastated if this thing died at this point. Yeah, what you should do, if that split is there, it, what you can do is you can just use a pruning paste and just make it and in then in seal up that, that split. Uh, so that you're basically not letting any more moisture go into that crack, okay? Like if we do get rain or if your sprinklers are hitting the tree, that you're not getting moisture going into them, just like, just like you would seal up, you know, some wood, so that, like if you have a wood deck or something like that, right, just to make sure that you protect the wood. That's what I'm trying to do because when you've got a split like that, the bark protects the wood inside the center of the tree. And, uh, and so if, if there's a split there, you're, you're exposing the wood, and that wood part is the part that can rot, or insects can get in there and cause more problems. So probably the best thing to do is just seal it up, use a pruning paste or a pruning paint, and uh, you can seal it up, and then that will help protect the tree. Okay, that's awesome. And I can get that just at... Uh, in, in, any of your gardening, home garden shops and the garden centers, not, they'll all have it, and um, yeah, pruning paste or pruning paint. If it's a okay, bigger awesome. if it's a bigger crack, then you use a you want to use a paste. Okay, thanks okay. so much. You're welcome. All right, we go to Sue in Silver Park. Hi there, Sue. What's your question for Rick and Jill today? Okay, so uh, Phalaenopsis orchids with blue flowers. Uh, they're manipulated somehow because the blooms that come after the original blue ones die are white. So is there something I could do? Can I feed this plant blue food dye or something? How can I encourage it to keep producing blue flowers? Well, with that, you can probably use uh, some just a little sprinkle, of, like what I call a three-pinch, like three-finger pinch, like you do in cooking, of, yeah. aluminum, of aluminum sulfate, okay? Uh, aluminum sulfate. And the aluminum sulfate will help a lot of plants that normally have color, like there's hydrangeas and that. They'll, they'll keep the color that they were. Okay, but and, those okay. plants there were injected with a blue dye to get them that color. Oh, yes. Yes. to be able yes. to do it just with the water because the the fact that orchids um, they are air plants and they they take their water in that way. It's going to be tricky for you to do it um, in your own home um, because they actually do in, inject the actual plant with dye. So that's how they make those phalaenopsis blue. So you'll get the beautiful blue color. Um, on the first flush, you might get a little bit of blue in the second flush, but most likely they'll revert back to white eventually. So when you say that they're injecting them, right, are they actually mm-hmm. using a syringe and injecting something into the stem? Um, well, you know what? I've never done it myself. I'd have to look some more into how they do it. I, I've just, From what I've been reading about it, they, they in, it inject it into the plant. They might inject it into the stem or else they're injecting it right into um, the the water that they're growing them in. Um, I'm I'm not actually too sure on that one, but yeah, they um, might be using it just with the water and taking it up to the roots as well. So they might be, but so I mean, if that was the case, can I just not be feeding them with blue water? You have to have the I mean, right. Go ahead, Jill. 
sorry, you can do that with the blue water, but it's going to affect the, the, the leaves as well, too, not just the flowers. So, um, I mean, I, we can get back to you on that, on maybe how you can do it, but I'd have to do some research. I'm not a not an expert in dyeing orchids. So. Okay, no worries. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Sue. Yeah, bye. Okay, we have a couple of texts that we can get to here before we end the show. Cody and Vanskoy purchased a number of trees and perennial grass recently. The final location I intend to plant them next year isn't ready. What is the best way that I can winter them over? Uh, they're in a pot right now? Oh, it yes, it says currently um, in pots with mulch. Okay, so yeah, so if they're in pots, just keep them in the ground and keep watering them, fertilize them in the pot and until you're ready to, to transplant over. Make sure they're in the ground. If they're above the ground, um, make sure they're either plant, potted into the mulch or put into the ground and put some mulch over top of them for the wintertime because they won't survive in the pot above the ground uh, at all. So not, 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 not in Saskatchewan weather. But yeah, covering them right over with like deep and wide with mulch or burying them into the soil and putting a little mulch over top. They'll be fine until your area is ready to go. Perfect. Um, this one is coming from Sharon and Estevan. How long do I have to wait to water after applying groundskeeper? Water right away. Okay. Yep. As soon as, as soon as you put that spreader away, get out there and turn the water on. Yep. All right. Easy you want, enough. You want it to start. You want to start dissolving that nitrogen and that and putting it into the soil right away. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And this one is uh, from Jeanette and just south of Saskatoon. How can I ensure I have more delphiniums in my plant bed next year? Should I cut them back when they die off? When they die, you want to you want to let them die back themselves, like naturally, because all the energy goes back into the roots. You don't want to okay. cut them off prematurely. So wait until the frost gets them in the fall. And then what happens is they get bigger and bigger. So the delphiniums and also sometimes the delphiniums will reseed themselves. So that's why you want to leave some of those some of those seeds right to the end. But uh, most likely you'll have to do if you want to get more is that you'll have to you'll have to split your delphinium later on as as it gets more mature, and then you got multiply your plants that way. All right, perfect. And that brings us to the end of the show for another week. You've been listening to Garden Talk with Rick and Jill Van Dyke from Dutch Growers on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.